Have a seat, everyone. It's my uh, great privilege to introduce one of our best named fundraisers here at Lakeland. Do we have it? That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> so the youth named that. Um, one, of the, one of the cool things that we do here at Lakeland is uh, our high school students have the opportunity every year to go on a trip. And they go as a community, and they go with some of our very best um, adult leaders, and they get a chance to be with God in a different place, which makes you open to different things, open to see God different things, more open with yourself. Um, uh, My son is getting to go for the first time this year. My daughter has been many times before, and always, always, she comes back changed in some way, having had an encounter with God. So we want to make that happen. Um, but as you know, traveling is not cheap. So um, we're going to have a, um, a fundraiser here in just a few minutes, um, kind of a loose change fundraiser if you want to get that together and uh, to help our students go on this trip. But before we do, we asked uh, Joe Skyer if she would come. She's been on two of them and she wanted to share a little bit about the impact that this has had on her life. So let's welcome Joe. My name is Joe Skyer and this is my story. My freshman year, I wasn't super involved in the clearing. I had actually only been a handful of times when they had announced that the summer trip that year would be to Florida. I was hesitant to go because I didn't know a lot of people in the youth group at the time. However, the few that I did know convinced me to sign up for the last available slot. Spending a week at the beach, I developed new friendships with kids I hadn't known before and new relationships with the leaders. Because of the time I spent on the trip, when we returned home, going to the clearing became my favorite part of the week. Florida was the push I needed to become committed and involved with the group. Because of the clearing, I made some really awesome friends that have taught me what friendship truly is. I now spend my Sunday nights with other girls from the youth group, which is so nice to have a group of girls my age to support and talk about our weeks with. Because of the clearing, I've also gotten involved with the journey and gained a mentor. This relationship means a lot to me, and the journey has helped me figure out more who I am and in which direction I want to go. There's been so much I have gained from the clearing, and I am so thankful for to the Florida trip to show all that this awesome group had to offer. Last year, the trip was a missions trip to Colorado Springs. I had never been on a trip like this before, and it was greatly outside of my comfort zone. I decided to go anyways because it was an opportunity to spend a week with my friends and the leaders. While it was fun and rewarding, there were times when we were frustrated and tired. After every long day, we would have a sermon and worship, which didn't sound all that appealing at first, considered how tired we were. But that soon became my favorite part, especially the last night. We prayed over the people we had been working alongside all week. I felt so connected with and loved by everybody on the trip. Doing the missions work and the sermons gave me the the motivation to finally make my faith my own not what my school had taught me or what I had grown up doing. I am so thankful for every opportunity to take a trip with the clearing. This group has helped shape who I am now. Florida was the reason I became invested, and Colorado gave me deeper friendships and faith. I owe a lot of my good years to these trips. So Twyla uh, helps organize these trips, so now we're going to find out exactly what what pass the gas means this morning, huh? Passing it in a holy type of way, since it's Holy Week. 
So Pass the Gas is one of two fundraisers that we do to support our summer trips with the high school students. You may have seen the 50 envelopes table out in the lobby the last couple of weeks, and that fundraiser is designed more to support specific individual students who are going on the trip. If they sign up to work the table, then the proceeds from that go directly to them, um, split evenly, and it makes the trip cheaper for them as an individual. But Pass the Gas is to cover... Uh, fluctuating costs that we maybe can't foresee or we don't have control over, like the cost of gas fluctuating, which is sort of how the fundraiser got its name, or um, equipment that breaks because we're camping, um, trips to urgent care where you have to add extra miles to your rental van and things like that, that we don't want to have to put a huge buffer in our trip price and pass it on to just the families who are some of them sending two kids at a time to go on these trips. Um, but we appreciate our congregation's generosity in helping give anything that you can, pennies, dollars, quarters, whatever you have that you want to slip in the gas can as it comes by. So we appreciate your help this morning. I forgot to mention first service, there is a way to give to this fundraiser on the app. So if you're like, oh, nothing. <laughs> then you can get on your phone and you can give at a later time or you can give right now through the app. Is the form called Pass the Gas also? No, it is not. Oh, okay. What's the form called? Just in, uh, The giving tab is called Into the West Into Fundraiser. The West. Okay, wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So what's going to happen now? Uh, the high school students are going to come up the aisle with gas cans, and as it comes past you, feel free to put whatever you have with you inside of it, whatever you want to give, and we... Uh, like I said, greatly appreciate your support. All right, thank you. You can consider continue passing gas as I continue to preach here. That's just fine, no problem at all. Oh, you deserve someone more mature, but I'm all you got. <laughs> it is uh, Palm Sunday, so it is the last Sunday of the season of Lent. I hope that God has met with you powerfully during this season of Lent. If you didn't do much with it, the great thing about Lent is it will be back next year. There will be another opportunity. That's the great thing with the Christian year. So there is always another chance with God to go on the journey. Today is also the beginning of Holy Week. So we want to observe all of those things today. We're going to end our last Sunday of Lent by also concluding our study of Luke chapter 18. So let's begin by reading our verses today. And let's do something we don't do often that other churches do every, every Sunday. Um, let us stand together as uh, we hear the gospel. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question... You know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. 
When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But the man, but when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. The gospel of our Lord. Have a seat, everyone. So here we have two stories. One, Jesus starts out very kind. We love this story. Let the little children come to me. In fact, the Greek word here used for children does imply very small children, like the size that were waving the palm branches just a few minutes ago in the sanctuary, or smaller, even babies. Let the babies come to me. Oh, he's so gentle. Then this rich guy comes up, asks him a few questions, and Jesus ends up saying, it's next to impossible for people like that to enter the kingdom of God, rich people. Like, woo, that's tough. That's tough. Do you know that every time these stories are told in the Gospels, they are told together. Other stories can change positions, but these are always told together. I believe after studying these this year, they are meant to always go together. They are two sides of the same coin, two answers to one question. I apologize for every time in the past I preach them separately because it causes you to confuse the meaning of both. Watch this morning as God brings them back together for us. The question is, what did these kids do that was right to enter the kingdom of God? And what did this rich guy do that's so wrong? Why is Jesus mad at the rich guy? So when I went to seminary to study to become uh, a pastor, we received an amazing blessing. Uh, Members of our small group and members of our families got together and said, we want to give you a monthly financial support. So that, whereas most people at seminary were going to school part-time, working part-time, take them six years or so, I could just focus on school and finish seminary in three years because of this financial support from friends and family. It was such an incredible blessing. Now, I didn't want to be a a mooch, and I didn't want to sponge off people. So I thought, I've got to do something to contribute to this journey also, you know, to take care of things. Maybe they won't all cover it. We'll see. So um, I decided I'd go back to a job that I'd had in college that was very flexible around class schedules and stuff. Um, Well, remember that as a biology major? So in college, I was the reptile guy that came to your kids' schools and brought snakes and frogs and stuff. And so I was going to start this this, uh, reptile adventures. Isn't that a great name? And uh, so I'd have to rebuild all these cages and then become a guest speaker for Parks and Rec and, and schools and such like that. So First thing I was going to do is rebuild these cages. So I need about $750 worth of wood and plexiglass to get going. So I went to the Home Depot. I still remember, hot day. And I got out of the parking lot. And as soon as my feet hit the pavement, a little voice inside of me said, you don't have to do this. And I thought, why am I afraid now? I've already quit my job. I've already uh, enrolled in seminary. Why am I afraid now to start a, start a small business um, you know, and this is the right thing to do. So I took a step toward the Home Depot and I kind of heard this voice again say, you don't, you don't have to do this. And I thought, you know, it's right to try to be somewhat self-sufficient despite all these gifts. It's right to contribute. It's not right just to take. I, I can push through this. I am not afraid. And I went into Home Depot and I bought the wood and the plexiglass and I built the cages. That's self-sufficiency. That's taking care of things. Um, you know, that's entrepreneurialism. 
And what bugs us about this passage is here's this rich guy. He obeys all the commandments. He's got it going on. And Jesus tells him that's not scoring him any points with God. So the the rich ruler in this passage goes away sad. I go away sad from this passage. Because I can't figure out what is it about self-sufficiency and what is it about having money and what is it about doing it right that has Jesus mad enough to say, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the problem that we're having right now is not with Jesus' answer. It's with the question I've chosen to ask. I asked, what has Jesus so mad? What has Jesus so angry? Jesus is not mad and Jesus is not angry about his wealth or his self-sufficiency. Let's do a psych test together. You like these? I don't. All right, let's do a psych test together. I'm going to show you a picture of a woman's face. She has an emotion on her face. And in this test, when you take it, you are asked, describe the emotion that you see here in a word. What emotion do you see here? So on the count of three, I'm just going to have you all say what emotion you see in this picture ready One, two, three. Okay. I heard mostly fear, surprise, shock somewhere in that neighborhood. That's what I think I heard. Did you say something like fear or or shock or surprise? Okay. And did you say something like fear or shock or surprise? And were you roughly in the neighborhood of fear, shock, surprise? Okay. All right. Do you know that when you showed this picture to 6 to 16-year-olds, a large number of them say, angry. Six to 16-year-olds who look at this picture respond angry. That's because facial recognition and the ability to see emotions and read emotions on the face is a part of brain development that does not fully mature until you're 25 years old. So when teenagers look at this picture, they see angry. This explains why those of you who have had teenagers so often have this conversation. Why are you mad? I'm not mad. Why are you yelling? I'm not yelling. Because if you have anything on your face other than flat or smiling, then you're angry to a teenager. That's all they can read. So when this kid comes home and tells something that happened and the mom makes this face because she's terrified her baby is almost hurt, the kid goes, mom's mad at me. We haven't progressed very far spiritually with our father, God. Because we read a story about a guy who's struck it rich and he's very religious and he keeps all the commandments. And Jesus says, it is next to impossible for this guy to enter the kingdom of heaven on the path he's on. And like teenagers, we spit back the prescription, oh, God must be angry. God must be making the mad face at that guy. But that doesn't make sense, especially if you read this same story in the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark tells the same story, but listen how it begins. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. But first, he looked at the man and felt genuine love for him. He's not mad or angry. What Jesus tells him next, he tells him because he genuinely loves him. This guy's not being condemned. He's just being told, you're on a path that's not going to work the way you think it's going to work. 
I learned this one Advent season, season before Christmas, from a child. So some of you remember this. We had this Advent guide, and it had the prayer that Mary sings when she finds out that she's going to bear Jesus Christ. And in the middle of the prayer, it says, God, sends the, uh, God fills the stomachs of the poor and sends the rich away with empty hands. So in the prayer guide, it asks the question, is it wrong to be rich? Well, all the adults in the room, we just sat dumb because we wanted to say, no, it's not wrong to be rich. Yet here's the mother of Christ saying, God fills the stomachs of the poor and sends the rich way with empty hands. So is it wrong to be rich? And we're going, but in the silence, my eight-year-old son pipes right up confidently and says, no, it's not wrong to be rich, but it's dangerous because when you're rich, you think you can do whatever you want. How's that for wisdom? From a child. Which brings us back to those little children that Jesus said, if we were like them, we would inherit the kingdom of God. Now, how can we be like them? What can kids do, especially little kids, especially if it's translated babies? What can babies offer? Exactly. Exactly. They are completely dependent. They can offer nothing. And Jesus says that you and I are just like them. So we might as well embrace it and stop acting like we can buy our way into the kingdom of God, serve our way into the kingdom of God, good deed our way into the kingdom of God. God is offering it to his children as a gift. And all we have to do is receive it like dependent children who don't have anything to pay for that with. Dependence? That's the key character that Jesus is looking for in those children. Their dependence. Ooh. Dependence doesn't play really well in America. But that's what the story's about. Why else does Jesus tell the rich ruler there's only one thing he hasn't done yet? Sell all your possessions. Give to the poor. Then come follow me. Now, you can take that verse literally if you like. I know lots of people who do. They believe that to be a real Christian, you must sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow him. And since no Christian on earth has ever sold all their possessions, except maybe St. Francis, and then he just went door to door and begged for new possessions. But anyways, since no, no Christian has ever sold all their possessions, given to the poor, then God is really angry at all of us. We're just hoping grace is going to cover that up. Even the people who believe and take this literally know that they themselves haven't sold their possessions to the poor. When you ask them, why haven't you yet? Like, well, I'm just too weak. I'm hoping grace will cover it, but I know God's super ticked off about it. God's making a mad face. But that doesn't make sense with all the rest of scripture. Because you would think if what Jesus really wanted all Christians to do, to be a follower of God, was to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you would think the church would have to preach that a lot. That would be a big convincing to do. And yet, all the rest of Scripture, we never hear this command again. Not from a letter of Paul, James, John, Peter, no one. That literal interpretation also doesn't explain why Luke, the author of this book, when he writes the book of Acts, describes Barnabas, a great disciple, and says Barnabas came to the church and sold a piece of land. Not even the land he lived on, like an extra piece of land that was in his family. 
It doesn't explain why he got away with it. It doesn't explain why even in the next chapter of this book we're reading, Jesus goes to a tax collector named Zacchaeus. And after the afternoon is over, Zacchaeus says, I'm going to sell half of all I own and give it to the poor. And Jesus says, good, salvation has come to you today. Instead of only half, cheapskate. In fact, if that's really what Christianity was supposed to be all about, that would be the opposite of what this passage means. If selling all you have and giving the money to the poor would get you into heaven, then that would mean you can buy your way into the kingdom of God. It's just really expensive. So why does Jesus tell this guy and only this guy He's giving an instruction that would have made this guy for the first time in his life dependent on God like a child. This guy's not like a child. He proudly says, I've kept all these commandments since I was young. I'm good. And he's rich, which in the first century they thought meant that you were blessed by God automatically. If they saw a rich person, they thought that person's been blessed by God. They're definitely in. That was just a first century belief. That's why when Jesus says uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person into the kingdom of God, that's why all his disciples say, then who in the world can be saved? But Jesus is telling them, those are not paths to God. Not because God is mad at wealth or mad at self-sufficiency, but because those things don't work. Self-sufficiency causes us to try things that are not going to be good for us, mainly doing it on our own. And wealth is dangerous. It makes us think that we can do what we want. So here's the good news, everyone. To inherit the kingdom of God, you don't have to do much more than what a baby can do. Two-thirds of the way through seminary, uh, my, my business, Reptile Adventures, isn't that a great name? <laughs> Dried up. It wasn't well advertised. Enrollment was down. The cost of feeding the animals had stayed the same. And so I gave all the animals to local nature centers. I, I sold those awesome cages I'd built. And then I sat down to close out the books on the business. And they zeroed out nearly to the penny. Do you know what that means? It means that all that effort, all that planning, all that advertising, all of that teaching, all that to make my own way had been for nothing. I had made $1.75. And in that moment, I realized and I remembered that voice on the parking lot of Home Depot. You don't have to do this. In that moment, I realized who that voice was. That wasn't my own fear. That was God. But when I realized that I had heard the voice of God telling me, you don't have to do this, and that I had ignored it, I didn't feel condemned. And I didn't feel judged. I didn't see the mad face. In fact, it felt like another voice of God coming back around to say, see, I had you. I'll always have you. I am really all you need, all you're ever going to need. 
To inherit the kingdom of God, you don't have to do much more than what a baby can do. Trust in the Father and cling to him. When Jesus said it was impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus' disciples said, good grief, then who can be saved? And what did Jesus say back? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. God makes it possible. He is receiving us. He's giving us what we could never purchase for ourselves. And he's just wishing we'd let ourselves need him. All you have to do is what a baby can do. Trust in God. Receive him like a child who has nothing to offer. Because that's the truth. That's not pretend. That's actually the truth. That's what we are. Against this life, we really don't have much. Look at what's going on in the world. What's coming at us. We don't have enough smarts. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough looks, strength, power, skill, or luck to really protect us. We spend a lot of time trying to protect ourselves from the world with those things. But truly, if the world came at us, there's nothing we could do to stop it. We do, in fact, need God, just like little children. There was a time I would have hated ending the Palm Sunday sermon with the words, you've got to give it to God and you've got to trust in the Lord. It sounds so cliche to me, especially with all my survival skill and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard and, and don't be a mooch. But God's finally broken me down pretty well. Torah would gonna end this sermon in a few minutes saying, You've got to give it to God and you've got to trust in the Lord, because that's all we can do. What does that look like? So when you're a kid, we've got kids in here. When you're a kid and you can hear your parents arguing and it scares you, you don't know what that sound is all about, pray, God, help me to sleep. And God, I give you my parents, help them to work that out, to apologize and in the morning to take care of me again. I give my parents to you and I trust in you, God, amen. And when you're a teenager, we've got teenagers in here, and you're worried about grades, but you can't study for one more minute. It's one in the morning. Pray. God, take what I have crammed into my brain and let it be there in the morning. And I'm going to sleep now. And I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to give this to you. And I hope you'll carry me through these next few years of school. When you're in college and you're wondering uh, what you're going to do for the rest of your life, pray, God, I trust that you, when the time is right, will reveal a career to me and a job opportunity for me, something I can do for your glory when the time is right, God. I give all this anxiety and worry to you, and I trust in you for you are faithful. And if you're lonely this morning, pray. Lord, I'm not going to go hang out in desperate places where there are other desperate people. Lord, I pray you will let me see the one you have chosen to love me, whom I can love, and who will love you when we are both good and ready. Parents, parents, you got nothing but prayer. Now you're a baby raising a baby. First babies, you try to turn up the high control knob. You're going to make this work. Second, third, and so on, you figure out, yeah, 
And he began to pray, Lord, I know babies get sick sometimes. I pray you will carry this one through the night because I am not a healer. Lord, I don't know why my kid struggles in school, but I pray you will wake up in their mind a desire to learn. I give my son or daughter to you, Lord, and I trust in you. Lord, walk with my kid through the halls. Protect them from bullies, from counterfeit friends because it's wearing me out, worrying all the time. Lord, I can't be there all the time. I trust them to you when I can't be there. Adults, we continue in a life of prayer. Lord, I need to have a hard conversation. And Lord, I'm going to stop practicing this hard conversation and all the ways it could go wrong and talking myself out of it. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to go directly to the one who has offended me. I'm going to say what it says to say. And then I'm going to leave what happens next to you, God. I'm going to give this to you and trust in you. Lord, I can't beat this addiction. I have said this is the last time now about a thousand times. I'm like a toddler who's caught my own house on fire and I can't get out. I'm powerless against my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And my life has become unmanageable. Lord, I believe that you can restore me to sanity. And I'm ready for you to remove all of my defects of character. I know where folks like me have gone before for healing. Lord, I'm going to go there. I have all these horror stories in my mind about what will happen next. But I'm going to go there and I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to trust in you. Lord, they say I may die soon. If ever I needed your peace, it is now. Carry me as we walk this last road together. Now, what happens after you pray any of those prayers is not up to you and I, and it never was. But you will find, you will find what happens next is when you're not furiously scheming and controlling and surviving and medicating and making your own way. When you are trusting in God, headspace opens up. Heart space opens up that used to spend trying to make self-sufficiency and wealth take care of it. Head and heart space opens up. And your relationships with your loved ones begin to heal. And you begin to find you do have what you need. And you stop digging your hole deeper and deeper. You enjoy things you've not let yourself enjoy for a long, long time. And you cry for things you should have cried about years ago. And you thank people that you've been taking for granted. And you get to apologize for things you regret. And you realize that all the stuff in this book that we were trying to do, the not lying and honoring parents and... uh, and, and Sabbath rest and saving yourself from marriage and giving to the poor and all of that stuff we were trying to do so that God wouldn't make the angry face at us. We learned that that's not what it was for. This was all for us. These are the ingredients for a full life shared with us. And they please God precisely because they're good for us. And he likes things that are good for us because God loves us. God even likes us. 
And so we do these things for ourselves. And we thank God for teaching them to us that we can have the full life he gives to us if we will receive it as children. And at last we learn to rest in him like the little ones. Father, you are good to us. And we have said this morning, in all of these times, your love remains with us. We've said it with our minds. Help us now by the power of your spirit, believe it in our hearts and live in light of that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing this good news to us. Amen.